to the doghouse. I'm Diana. And I'm David. It's Riverdale Season 4, Episode 8, Chapter 65, In Treatment. As residents across Riverdale begin receiving more mysterious videotapes on their doorsteps, the seniors of Riverdale High eagerly await their college decision letters. Did did we just see a good episode of Riverdale? Um, okay, we've had 65 episodes. That's easily in the top 10. Easily. Easily in the top five. I was about to say, it might be in the top five. I don't know. Season one's really good. This is a discussion for another time, probably at the season finale. Series finale, perhaps. But this was like one of the best episodes because it answered a lot of character questions. It furthered the plot along. And it also gave our actors really good moments to shine while also having levity and kind of calling out some shit that the fans have been questioning, too. It did what I hoped it would do. Mm -hmm. Allow the characters to reckon with the situation they're in Mm -hmm. and make a decision one way or another. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're changing paths, Mm -hmm. but at least they're having to come to grips with it. Yeah. Like, we have to confront this. We can't pretend this isn't happening. And, like... That's kind of all we wanted. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Not like it's a super smart show. I just need you to acknowledge within this universe that this is happening. Correct. All right, so why don't you recap that recap? Archie's got a gang problem. Cheryl absorbed a twin. Now it's haunting Thistle House. Hiram's back at home. Jughead's looking for his grandpa and investigating Shipping's murder. And videotapes are abound. Okay, so we start this episode and everybody's getting videotapes again. Only this time... They're much closer to people's front doors. So like before they were like across the street and now it's like right in front of the house. Creepy. It is creepy, but that's literally the only time we really talk about it. I think that's to set us up for next week. Possibly. But as part of Jughead's narration, he he starts to talk about the fact that like, okay, the only thing that's more unsettling is that the students are making their their decisions about college And so it's very stressful. So Principal Honey asked the school's guidance counselor, a.k.a. Miss Gina fucking Torres. Thank the fuck. This is a perfect person to bring in as a ringer. She's oh, she's fabulous. He brings her a stack of folders and a coffee. Mm -hmm. There are five folders in that stack. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So Jughead says, so whatever anxiety the students were feeling, they'd have a licensed professional to go to for confidential comfort and or advice. Something, it turned out, many of us were long overdue for. Thank you, writer. Thank you, writer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this feels like a culmination of all those things that we've really loved since those last three episodes of season three. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, we're going to we're going to talk about the bullshit. Like, we're going to be a little meta about this, but it's going to which works perfectly in this show. It really does. Well, it works perfectly. And also... Again, it's not it's not even so much about going meta, especially in this environment. It's about finally coming to terms with the reality of what that means. Mm-hmm. It finally means admitting that a lot of shit has happened. Yeah. And what does that mean for the characters? Totally. So we start with, you know, the most serene place in Riverdale, the not Cooper house. <laughs> <laughs> Alice is sitting very strangely at a table and betty comes in she's been running she's like hey mom oh wait what's going on and alice starts the conversation with you were so sweet when you were little when did you become a liar so we're straight back to season one alice like nothing happened i love it the best i i do love it i love it (sighs) i don't like that 
there's no discernible difference right up front. No, no, it makes complete sense to me. Because Alice, being who she is, what we've seen of her from these four seasons is that this is unpleasant. I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen. Fair. So her default mode is, okay, I got rid of the murderous husband. He's gone. I have a new man in my life. So my problem child, Polly, is in an asylum like she was season one. True. Let's go back to being overprotective and invasive over Betty. Yeah. That's a it's a complete return to form for her. It is. It just feels really jarring because we haven't seen it in so long. So Alice opened her Yale response. Betty didn't get in. She didn't get into Yale. Uh-oh. And Betty's like, oh no, I didn't get in. Wait, you opened my mail? Mm-hmm. What could cause her to be so unfocused that it would cost her her future? So I searched her bedroom. What? And I found it hidden in the false bottom of your nightstand. And then she slides across the table, Betty's birth control pills, which <laughs> you should be studying. You should be focused. Instead, you're out of control. And Betty's just like, fuck, this is the last straw. We're not discussing this. We're not discussing any of this. You've been invading my privacy for years and it's over, which is great. This is exactly what is needed. Love it. Also, fucking love the call to safe sex. I know I've been harping on this since season one, but if you're going to have a show with this many kids having sex all the time, we need to have some safe sex conversations. And there we go. And and here we have it again. Also, oh, it, get, it gets better. My mom slash enlightened female heart was super happy about this. <laughs> we cut directly to Betty knocking on Mrs. Burble's door and we see at the bottom of the screen Case number 65, Elizabeth Cooper. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Betty is case number 65. Okay. Now, I will say this up front. I do not know what the numbers mean, but don't think I'm going to ever forget about them. Don't think that I don't think there's anything going on with these numbers at all. <sighs> well, then you are really bad at this show. <laughs> I just, yes, these five got their stacks given to them. But there's also a distinct possibility that all of the kids in Riverdale mm -hmm. are being reviewed, and these happen to be kind of near the end of the list. Nope, this doesn't make any sense. There's another idea I have in my head that okay. could go conspiracy-wise. I'm just trying to lay out the plot theory for how this really doesn't matter, just in case it doesn't matter. You're wrong. <laughs> so Buddy comes in, and she just instantly starts talking to her, and then Alice shows up. Miss Burble's like, hey, we're in the middle of a session. Mrs. Cooper, it's Mrs. Smith right now. It's Miss Smith. <laughs> Betty's like, are you stalking me now? And Alice came in to talk to her. She wanted some insight into Betty. And Betty tells Miss Burble, you know, this is what's bothering me. She's over controlling and she's overreacting to everything. This is my problem. To which Allie says, what her problem is is that she's been rejected from college because she's too busy having sex. <laughs> and oh my God, they make a cut to Lily Reinhardt. Biting her lip, she's going to laugh so hard because this is the most absurd thing. Uh-huh. And Miss Burble's like, oh, is that what you associate with sexuality, Miss Smith? Shortcomings? <laughs> and, you know, there's an insult about, you know, not having a doctorate. She's a licensed psychologist. Alice wants an intervention on Betty and Betty's like, oh, no, we have months of shit to unpack. We're going to be here forever. So we kind of have this little cut and then we get a new <laughs> down at the bottom case 65B Alice Smith <laughs> because now she's entered the conversation. Yeah, it's Betty Cooper and Alice Smith. Yeah. And I, I do love the line right before. Would you mind if your mother joined us? Even if I said no, 
I wouldn't be able to get rid of her anyway. Pretty much. Like, <laughs> just like, this is a foregone, this is happening. This is happening. We desperately need this. Oh, Betty. So we get some, we get some really good shit here. They talk about, you know, are you keeping secrets? And Alice says that I've only do it what's in her best interest. To which Betty goes in. So you joining a cult, that was my best interest. Not mentioning that you weren't actually brainwashed the whole time. You were just undercover for the FBI working with my long lost half brother who I thought was dead. That was in my best interest. Oh, thank God we're having this conversation. Thank you, Jesus. I'm doing a happy dance on the couch right now. There's back and forth. Oh, you were a child. I was protecting you. Then explain giving away my college fund to the farm. Well, that was before when I was under the influence of Edgar. So... Now she admits she was at one point under the influence of Edgar. Uh Uh-huh. How about when you didn't tell me that I had serial killer genes, we get a cut to Burble who kind of is like, what? Uh Uh-huh. Which I like. Or when you had Polly committed to the Sisters of Quiet Mercy and didn't tell me where she was. Or when you had me dragged off to that evil nun hellhole because she did miss Burble, where they force-fed me drugs against my will. But hey, they at least they were fizzle rocks and not birth control because God forbid. To which Alice says, context is important here. I love I love that that is her, her, her defense. <laughs> Uh, Denial to the end with that woman. To which, oh, fucking love this with Ooh, Betty. this line context did you ever realize that maybe i started taking birth control because i didn't want to have a baby at 16 like you or polly oh i didn't want to be like the two of you pregnant and married to a murderer or cult leader or both and alice says i'd hoped i'd raise you to be smarter than us no offense mom but i am being proactive is being smart fuck yes (laughs) thank you Fucking thank you. I love this Uh so much. Uh, We don't need to add any commentary to it other than that whole set of lines. This was so needed and so fucking important. Mm -hmm. I love it. And at the same time serves the character. Uh Uh-huh. That's the amazing part is all of this is really great commentary, but it's also just good for a Betty and Alice dynamic. Oh, totally. I love it. So it continues, and we 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 can really get into the whole fact that like Alice keeps thinking of Betty as this child, as a child, and Alice is reading her diaries, and that's not cool. Nope. And we kind of hit on this point that maybe the reason she keeps doing this is she's trying to control Betty. She gave away her money so she can't go to college, so she can control Betty and keep her as a child longer. And Alice starts getting all teary-eyed. She says, I've already lost two children. First Charles, then Polly. And Betty growing up, leaving for college, moving out, moving on. It just feels like I'm losing you too. Betty goes, you know, like, mom, that's what happens. Kids grow up, they leave. I can't be your only hope. I love you. I love you too, but that's not an apology. And it doesn't justify the horrible, unhealthy things that you've done. You, How can you keep suffocating me? And why me? Why are you doing this to me? Yep. Fucking love this. And Alice goes, I love you. But you love Polly, too. She's in an asylum. She needs you. She needs help. So why can't you do this to her? <laughs> just a good, totally tiny fair. moment of humor. That's, that's also just a great, like, kid thing. It's like, can you lay off me and bug one of the other ones? <laughs> like, I want to four children. I know. I'm like, thank God. They're like, that one's being bad because I can get away with murder over here. Uh-huh. And in Riverdale, it's actually murder you can get away with. <laughs> like, it's important. But Alice is just crying. She says, because I love you more. I love you most. And then Alice is crying and she gets up and leaves. Ooh, Riverdale. Fucking love this. Woo. I love it because it's so true. Again, one of four children. There are times where I know like I was not my parents' favorite kid. 
they're like I always connected to one parent better than another one. It's and, and it's it's one of those things that like nobody wants to admit that parents have a favorite. And it's not that you love that kid less or more. It's that you love them differently because you connect to them differently. The relationship is different. And that's why it can feel like I love you more. And it ebbs and flows. It totally does. Our joke in our house was, we, you know, one of us walking in, oh, you're my favorite. So another one walking in the room <laughs> like, oh, you're my favorite. And they're just like, mom's lying about who's your favorite. No, it's whoever's doing something to be nice to mom. That's mom's <laughs> favorite. It just speaks to Alice having dealt with all of this bullshit. Well, it it gives her character a motivation that isn't stupid. It's very realistic motivation, and it really does explain so many things about who Alice has been for us as an audience for the last four seasons. And it doesn't diminish anything. It doesn't excuse anything either, which is, I think, the most refreshing part of that. It wouldn't shock me if this was always part of Machen Amick's subtext as a character, something that she's built mm-hmm. up inside that they finally decided to verbalize. Yeah. That would not shock me in the least. And it's nice to finally see that because it puts a whole lot more in proper contact. This this scene is beautiful. It's Love a it. great scene. Perfect. We cut to Archie has fallen asleep in class. His face is literally on a book. He's drooling. It's great. Kevin's trying to wake him up. Archie, Archie, wake up. Dr. Phylum's like, nope, save it. Go to Mrs. Burble. So we cut over to Mrs. Burble's office. We see case number 70, which is five more than Betty. So, like, they're not in alphabetical order. No. So, I just, that's important. It's whatever. I don't believe it, but it's fine. I'm better at sleuthing than you. I know you are. Just. You're going to be right. I know you're going to be right. I'm just deciding to at least examine the path of they didn't care about this. If they didn't care, they wouldn't have put it on the screen. That's the opinion I'm going with. Anywho, he's coming in the office and he's like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm having trouble sleeping. Maybe it's like insomnia. Miss Burble is like, I'm not here to reprimand you. I just want to talk. And Archie's like, okay, about what? College. You haven't applied to any. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fair. Archie says, I'm staying here not to run Andrew's Construction. I'm going to clean up the town just like my dad would if he spent his whole life helping people. And he says, I try to carry on his legacy. And I, that's, 100% true. We've assumed that as an audience. I really like that they had Archie verbalize that. Yep. Because again, that gives Archie a lot more purpose and agency over what's going on with him. Dr. Burble's like, you know, but you've done so much. You opened the center. Well, it's not enough. Why would you think that? And Archie just starts talking about like, you know, how things have gotten complicated. And we see on his hands that there are a bunch of cuts. And, you know, they kind of just go back and forth but i i do really again i appreciate this line that dr burble says like archie i have to tell you if you admit to a crime or tell me that you're putting yourself or anyone else in danger i'm required to report it that's an important distinction with mental health professionals they do have to report crimes yes i appreciate that in the show which also means that you know if you are considering being a vigilante justice warrior and don't No, just talk to a therapist. Yeah, start there. Yeah. She asks him if he's okay. He says, I'm fine. Yeah, but you've missed a lot of football where you excelled, and those cuts and bruises in your hands are not from sports. So Archie says, okay, I go out at night. Oh, you mean cruising at Fox Forest? The quickest no homo ever from him. Yeah, this felt really gross on Nair. She's like, no, I don't mean that. And he could have literally just said those words. No, I don't mean that. 
but they made a meal out of him going, <laughs> no. Yeah. They, that that felt gross. There's no reason. No. They, they could have not asked that question. Whatever. And so that, that was just super unnecessary. But Archie explains and put on a mask, try to help people. I'm a big comic book fan. Mr. Justice, the comic, the red circle. I really identify with them, you know? <laughs> and she's sniffing him up. Like, she gets up and she's asking things about, like, oh, you're gonna, you're a vigilante. Or she's like, no, who protects a vigilante? Who cares? I don't read a lot of comic books, but doesn't the hero usually suffer a great tragedy and then create a persona out of rage? Is that right? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> like, so she's, she's totally got she's, him on the hook. She's poking him. So she's asking about, like, how are you dealing with this? And, you know, like, oh, you're angry. And Archie's like, yeah, I know I'm angry, Miss Burble. I'm not an idiot. Look at all the crappy things that have happened to me, to my friends, to my dad. They make me angry. You talking to me like I'm a moron. That makes me angry. And she points out that he's kind of going with some compulsive behavior. He knows the consequences of what he's doing, but he still feels like he has to do it. Yeah. Again, very good. And Archie just feels regret that, you know, going out at night, like just like, I don't even have to do that, but just running the center has made me a target. And Miss Burble offers him a good suggestion. You need to channel this energy into a smarter way, like enlist more volunteers like me, or you can start an anonymous tip line to give you a farther reach. So the people who are scared to talk to the police can report things. And she's like, but you cannot go out at night. Because you could get hurt, and then your loved ones are going to get hurt. Yeah. So, like, again, I really appreciate a smart adult who offers a very, doesn't shit on what he's doing, just saying, like, look, this is dangerous, and here's a more productive way to, like, channel this energy. Yeah. We cut on over to the Andrew's house, and (laughs) he's talking to Mary. My favorite. Mom, can we talk? Oh, boy, what's wrong? (laughs) Perfect. And he's decided that he's going to go live at the gym for a while. And mom, you don't have a choice. I'm 18. I'm an adult. <laughs> I was like, no, you are not, you idiot. Go go to your room. <laughs> you, go, you go to your room and you sit and you think about how stupid you are. So it's like, okay, fine, whatever. Like, I kind of appreciate that Mary doesn't really fight him too much on this because she she can't. She can't. And it's, it's not an unreasonable request. He doesn't say he's doing this forever. He's no. saying, I'm doing this until Dodger gets caught. Mm-hmm. I, I can't protect you any other way. Yeah. So he goes over to the El Royale gym and he, you know, puts his stuff down on a cot in the office and then he pulls out an old fashioned answering machine, records a message, and then he throws away his mask. So all right, he's gonna take he's taken Burble's suggestion. Something about this episode that caught my eye, and I'll talk about it a little more in another scene. They're very specific in the composition of this episode. A lot of times I don't notice the camera work or how mm-hmm. they're framing things. This episode it really felt like the hand was on there. Mm-hmm. The fact that the mask goes on the edge of the trash can and yeah. not in yep. feels like such a specific choice. Oh, it absolutely is. It's This is a half measure. Mm-hmm. He's not fully committed to getting rid of that mask. If he was, he would have picked it up and thrown it all the way in. It lands on the edge. Yeah. Because he's going to need to get it again. Like, you know that when it happens. It's just one of those things where a lot of times at the show, I don't notice how they're framing and blocking things. Mm-hmm. Some of it's just when you've got two people in a room, it's a lot more obvious. But man, they're making real specific choices on what they're shooting and how they're shooting it. Yes. And I love it. Oh, I 100% agree. We go over to the doghouse. Hey! And Cheryl's there talking to Tony. We hear over the PA. 
Cheryl Blossom, please report to Principal Honey's office. And she's like, and the War of the Red Roses rages on. Wacky conspiracy theory. Yeah. War of the Red Roses, both red hair, could be Secret Blossom or Cooper. We threw this out last episode. Probably not, but put a pin in it. Oh, he's definitely suspicious. Yeah. Just he, putting it up there. He brought all these files. It wasn't an accident. Nope. Uh, we go to Honey's office and she's just like, okay, wherefore are we rattling sabers today, Principal Honey? <laughs> And he's just like, look, you've had a lot of absences. 26. Need I remind you and the sorry lot of yams you call educators that I have suffered numerous family deaths. My mother disappeared. I'm raising twin toddlers and I'm the sole caregiver to my Nana. And he's just kind of like, meh. (laughs) (laughs) I really love his face at this. He's like, meh, yeah, whatever. You still haven't been to school for 26 days. Well, and the realistic thing is that's exactly why I'm about to tell you what I'm about to tell you. Yeah, it's for those reasons I've decided to put a certified adult in charge of the cheerleading squad. Pause. You're taking my vixens away? And she's visibly shaken by this. And he's like, all right, tell you what, I'll let Mrs. Burble interview you and make a recommendation. And if she deems you psychologically unfit, it's over. All right. That's like, okay, here's the stakes. Like, I'll let somebody else make the decision, but this is happening. Somebody who's imminently qualified. Yep. Who's not involved in our squabbles. Nope. So we cut over to Burble's office. It's case number 72. That's, okay. That's two more than Archie. And I'm, I'm just going to keep harping on this. <laughs> oh, Cheryl, would you like a three Buccaneers? <laughs> She's so rude to her. You oh, know, yeah. You know, Cheryl, the only way you're going to get what you want, your vixen's back, is for you to talk to me about you. Okay, then I have a rapturous girlfriend, total independence, a 4.0, and amazing hair. Are we done? <laughs> it's peak Cheryl. I, w- I will give them that. But this is this is a throwaway line, but it's very important. Did you receive a videotape? How did it make you feel? That is suspicious. This is why they're all being interviewed. That is where I think the numbers come from. Case number. And then Burble asks a very important question. Speaking of the last few years, have you ever spoken to a professional about everything that you've been through? Your mother's abuse, your brother's murder, your father's suicide, your time in conversion therapy, and an organ harvesting cult, your near-death experience in Sweetwater River? To which Cheryl instantly says that was an accident. Like her whole demeanor changes at that, the reference of that. And here's what I love about that. There, there's, a, there's an exchange. We come back and Burble says, it would be okay if you told me it wasn't. Very good therapist. Cheryl has one of those, like, obviously it's a shame gulp. But the reason Cheryl stops at that is because that is the one thing that happened that she was actually responsible for. Yes. She was trying to end things. She was seriously contemplating it. And she is responsible. Of all those things on that list, she is responsible for that one. I mean, at first note, you're like, Jesus Christ, when you put it on paper, all in one breath, it's fucking insane. Yeah. Like, all of the trauma that she's faced. Yeah. And again, for her to say, like, it's okay if you tell me that's what it, it was. It would be okay if you told me it wasn't. Because look at what you've gone through. And and she continues, you are remarkably resilient. It must be exhausting. Oh, my God. How are you coping? And it's it's at this moment that Cheryl just loses it. Her walls are gone. Yes. She's got nothing. And- Thank the Lord. Oh, absolutely. I talked to Jason. I talked to my dead brother. Oh, like a prayer. That's a very healthy way of dealing with grief. No, I go to the chapel in my house where my brother's body is and I talk to him and I think he answers me back and I think maybe I've lost all my mind and I don't know when it happened. Was it when JJ died? 
was it when I fell through the ice? Have I always been this fractured? Like Cheryl's, she's got nothing on this woman. She has no reason to impress her. It's time for her to be honest because shit's not good. No. (laughs) Thank God. I know. The other part about this is really important is that Cheryl is aware. Yes. She is trapped, but she is aware. And I appreciate this is where we get into if Mrs. Burble is part of an evil plot, I hate it Mm -hmm. because this scene right here does so much for Cheryl as a character that while there may be other motives going on with why Miss Burble is interviewing them, I think the advice that she's giving is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I need this to be a positive character because otherwise you're undermining the value of what we're giving to this character after 65 goddamn episodes. Well, the line that really gets me is they kind of go back and forth and she's starting to explain what's going on with Julian. And she's like, do you still maintain that I'm not mad as a hatter even though I'm talking to taxidermy and I'm being tormented by a devil doll? (laughs) That is a very Cheryl being rude to somebody else way of looking at herself. Yeah. And Mrs. Burble says, I don't think you're being haunted, Cheryl, and I don't think you've lost your mind, to which we get the very, you know, beautifully crying, then what's wrong with me? Which she needs. <laughs> I think you're being gaslit. Like Ingrid Bergman? <laughs> Such a Cheryl moment. She's like, yeah, what do you think's more logical that an evil spirit absorb this doll or that a human being is moving the doll around when you're not there? Thank you, Gina Torres. And we can figure out the truth about julian with a swab of your saliva you can't have any of my bodily fluids you succubus (laughs) for a chimerism lab it'll show if you have another dna in you and it's like oh my goodness there's a test and she's like yeah i'll call the doctor and tell them to expect you set up those test results aren't real they wouldn't have introduced the storyline if that if that test isn't going to come out as factual. Again, that undermines the value of this to me. But, I just hate but it. But that is what Riverdale does. If if they do that, I'm gonna be pissed. It, I just don't want that to be true. I'm yeah, whatever. To Anyways. me, it makes more logical sense that it is true results and that there's a gaslighting campaign going on that Cheryl's gotta root out. That makes way more sense to me. It just does. Well, we'll talk about it more in a little bit. There are some theories. Oh are, boy. That are nuts. So Cheryl's like, okay, now what about my vixens? Can I keep them? To which Burble says, as a counselor, I think you've done A-plus work. And she beams. As an administrator, Cheryl, I'm sorry. I'm going to recommend to Principal Honey that he bring in a coach to supervise the vixens while you focus on you for a little while. And a tear runs down her, her face. But I also love that she doesn't fight it. No. She knows she's right. Yeah. She knows she's right. So she goes to the locker room and she pulls out her HBIC shirt and the other girls see her and they're whispering and then she screams into the shirt and then falls to the floor crying. It's the last thing she had any control over. She feels like she's losing everything. Yeah. And people know. Yep. And like now, like she's got to admit like, I can't keep doing this. Yep. It's time to go to the Pembroke. Veronica's on her way out and we hear a miha. Can you come here for a minute? The eye roll. Oh, it's so good. We go in there. What do you want, Daddy? Tell me about another secret love child. God, I love Veronica right now. That's great. She's she's very entertaining when she's being written like this. Uh-huh. He's put this very special bottle of rum. It's the first bottle of Lodge rum I ever produced. And second to you and my diploma from Harvard University, my proudest achievement. Gee, I wonder if that's foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, whatever. 
She's like, I gotta go. I'll hear about Harvard later, Dad, because he wants to know if she's she's heard anything. Microeconomics waits for no one. Mm-hmm. So we go to microeconomics, and Kevin is giving a presentation, and Veronica's cell phone goes off, and she leaves, to which Kevin's like, fine. Uh, we go in the hallway. It's Dean Kingsley, and she has been admitted to the class of 2024. Veronica does this a very adorable yes, yes, jump. It's so good. We go into the classroom and everybody can see her through the window, like jumping and being a total weirdo. It's it's great. And then she gets back on the phone. She's like, thank you. Oh, yes. Give my regards to your father and please thank him for the rum he sent. And to which Veronica says, son of a smash cut butterflinger. <laughs> Mrs. Burble has offered a butterflinger. Also a lovely, fabulous candy joke she's offering it to veronica and we see case number 75 that's three after veronica luna nay lodge <laughs> love it it's like oh um i think i know why you're here any updates that you need to make to your life regarding say harvard veronica's like yeah i got in congratulations if i'm not mistaken it was your dream school it was now it's my nightmare and we just kind of get into the fact that veronica is pissed because her father meddled in her affairs she's so visibly angry like she's like this is humiliating and infuriating burble says infuriating because he didn't think you could do it on your own no because i'll never know if i could have done it on my own yep we kind of get back and forth on this thing where maybe this is his motivation no well what about this no and she's, she tells you know like okay i'm nobody's cordelia so much fucking Shakespeare. A lot of Shakespeare and uh, Oedipus crap. It's like, are you jealous of your sister? Absolutely not. She can have him. They deserve each other. <laughs> I'm sensing animosity. Sensing? I despise that man. <laughs> I, want, I want nothing to do with him. Okay, but you live at home. You obediently come when he calls you. Veronica, I don't think this is hate. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's obsession. You and your father are obsessed with each other. Are you diagnosing me with daddy issues? How very intro to psych. <laughs> Hashtag daddy issues. Oh, man. I've been calling that one for a while. I'm saying your connection goes far beyond what is typical father-daughter. It's primal, cosmic. He sees you as an extension of himself, which is why he'll never fully let you go. And you see him as your ideal future self. And I love this because it's absolutely true. They're so codependent on each other. It is, but I don't like where she heads with it. If we go around and around, Burble says, like, this only works if you actually walk away from your father. You have to actually want to, which has been my number one complaint. We've been doing this story over and over again, but Veronica never commits. This is why I complain about her calling him daddy all the time when she did the poppy It was actually a nice little dig. But again, it was playing into what they suspect about her. Like, you're going to do the most childish thing available. To me, the biggest problem is she couches it in Freud. And it's like, all this Freud stuff is useless for the real talk here. Of all of the interviews, this was the weakest one. It really is. It could have been half as long. And it should have just been, y'all are obsessed with each other. It's not going to work unless you actually do it. They tried to add all of these references, which I don't know how many are actually going to land with the intended audience. Yeah. And that's not an insult. It's just some of them are a little obscure. And I, it's just not worth it. Well, and it adds this hacky level of Freud bullshit on top mm-hmm. of it that I think in the end somehow justifies the choice that Veronica makes later. 
And to me, it's like, this is bad psych advice. Like, yeah. you're trending her in a really awful direction. That's, Veronica takes the wrong message. Don't get me wrong. The, the appropriate question is like, do you actually want to be rid of him or you just want to win? Yeah. Which we know which way that goes. And so she leaves her with, you're locked in a dance with death with your father, Veronica. So my last question is, who's leading, you or him? Oh. Which is true. It is true, but it's such a bad way to end that conversation. I, it, yeah, this conversation was not great. That's that's the weakest one. It It is. Though, super fun. <laughs> it, it is fun, but no, that one was weak. We go over to Stonewall. Jughead's late for class. DuPont's yelling at him. You're late on your pages and you haven't even applied to college. So you've squandered this opportunity. And Jughead's like, it's fine. I'll apply to regular admission. I can't imagine any teachers here writing a letter of recommendation for just an apathetic student. You may want to try with your teachers at your public alma mater. What an asshole. In case we had forgotten that he's an asshole. God Here's your reminder. Cut over to Burble's office. Case number 77. Okie doke. Okay, Jughead's grabbing candy because he's Jughead. He's the only person who's <laughs> taking candy. Just hoarding candy. Loving it. Love it, love it, love it. And he's there to get a transcript. So this actually makes sense. And it's like, I'm sure Miss Bell is going as fast as she can. But while we wait, why don't we have a little chat? No, I have a hard Holden Caulfield stance on phony small talk. Hey, do you often use fictional references to make sense of your situation? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Perfect. Just no pretense with Jack. Just, just none. And again, that's just really good meta conversation. Uh-huh. She references what happened with Mr. Chipping, the public suicide. Ah, he didn't kill himself. He was murdered by suicide, I guess. Who knows what they're capable of? Who? DuPont and the students. They convinced him to jump. Like, Jughead just keeps spewing all this shit. And Miss Burble's just trying to be like, What? So, like, Jughead starts talking about the Baxter brothers. Oh, my grandfather created them. He inspired the characters. No, he wrote the first book, and then DuPont stole the franchise out from under him, and now he's got us competing to ghostwrite the next one. But what's the point? It's rigged. He's a thief, and he has a grudge against anyone with the name Forsyth, starting with my grandfather the first. And Burble takes a moment and goes like, or you have a persecution complex. Heyo! Are you paranoid chasing windmills so you have a reasonable excuse to neglect your real work writing? And he's just like, Oh, so your advice after everything I just said is just do your homework, kid. <laughs> and I like that verbal. She's like, I'm wondering if the real reason you're so focused on the Baxter brothers is because you're afraid. Are you insecure about your talent as a writer? Jughead has to be a dick about this. Of course. I'm not going to be psychoanalyzed by someone who doesn't know the phrase tilting at windmills. It's about recognition. It's about not letting some ascot steal my family's achievements. You know, my grandfather could have been Gatsby rich. You know what he was instead? He was a mean drunk who beat my father in a trailer. Now, the only other person who's used the word ascot is FP. Uh Uh-huh. And a couple, that was a couple episodes when Jughead invited him to the mixer. Oh, yeah. So this is, this is Jughead like pulling on that like elitist hate. Yeah. It's a nice use of words. They've been getting better about this this season. And Burble just kind of goes, from what you're describing, this investigation is trying to get those very things you claim to hate. An inheritance, status, prestige. And Jug is like, no, 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 no. To which she's like, no, you're trying to fulfill their expectation that you're a bum and then claim they didn't give you a chance because that's the easy path. But look, let's look at your dad. He took a harder path. 
And so Jughead's like, oh, great. The dad lecture part of this, <laughs> which is a great. And he's like, he's a sheriff. He came from a poor household, abusive father, and he did the work to transform. He sacrificed so you could succeed. I bet he was very supportive of you going to Stonewall Prep, to which Jughead's like, yeah. And he sits back. He's starting to get like uncomfortable. And you repay him by going on this quest to prove that the man that caused him immeasurable pain is some kind of wronged hero. How do you think that makes him feel? Oh, man. Not only is that genius, and I love it, Mm -hmm. but Cole's acting, his switch here is like, oh, shit. She hit him right between the eyes, and he wasn't ready for it. And there's this pause, and then Gina Torres takes a sip. She's drinking her coffee. I won't think you less smart if you admit I'm right. <laughs> Only Gina Torres or someone of her caliber can pull that line I fucking off. love Gina Torres. She's, she can do no wrong. So good. If no. she never shows up again, I will be so happy. I'm, it'll be time. totally fine. I kind of don't want her because I don't want them to ruin her, but whatever. So Doug is like, you're right. My poor dad, I'm so selfish. And... Burble's like, no, you're just a high school senior from Riverdale. You're busy. And Doug is like, okay, maybe I should put down this conspiracy theories. You're underpaid, aren't you? And overqualified. <laughs> which means I don't expect anyone to change habits overnight. If you're going to see this mystery about the Baxter Brothers authorship through, then don't fall back on conjecture or righteous anger. Do the work. You know, investigate. And so then she's like, okay, um, let me go see where those transcripts are. Oh, just take the rest of the candy. You're the last one for today. And so he takes like all the candy. <laughs> it's very cute. And also I love that. Like you're my last one for today. Yep. Yep. But I just love that. Do the work, man. I love the fact that she doesn't try to change who any of these kids are. She's just like, let's put you in a good direction. Well, and also like make it about writing the actual wrong and not all these other things. Yeah. Do the actual work. Write your fucking story and actually investigate. Those can be, those are two separate things. And if you really think something happened, like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But don't make it about you yeah. and this crusade. Mm-hmm. So we cut over to the Not Cooper house and Jughead's like the couch doing his thing. I do see the serpent pillows. They they are there. And FP comes in. It's like, hey, boy, I miss seeing you around the house typing away on that thing. Jughead runs and give him a huge hug. Oh, oh my and the, dad heart. And then Jughead says, I love you and I appreciate everything that you've done for me. And I don't say that enough. That's all any dad really wants to hear. <laughs> That's any, it. Any parent. Just like, oh, I know. Thanks, kid. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. We go to later at the Not Cooper house. Alice is cooking. Betty comes in. And I was like, okay, set the table. Let's get ready. And Betty goes, she's setting the table and she sees the mail is out. She sees her mail. It's unopened. And then she sees a check made out to her. She turns around and is like, mom, I love you the most too. Aww. It's very sweet. We go over to see the El Royale gym. Archie is on his cot and he hears the beep of the answering machine. He listens to the recording. There's a problem going on at an apartment on the north end of the sketch alley. There's a man who lives in the hall and he hits my mom and I think she needs help. And Archie's like, as he's writing down the notes, he breaks his pencil and then he goes and grabs the mask from the trash can and he grabs his bat and he takes off. Yep. It's a compulsion. Yep. He's going to have to work at it. We go over to Pops and Cheryl is there with Tony. She's like, I got I got my results. Oh, from Highsmith College? I thought you were already accepted. <laughs> no, silly love bug. My chimerism test results. Uh, and she's like, okay, promise me that you're, you're going to be here for me. And 
Tony's like, Cheryl, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I love you and nothing would ever change that. Uh, so good. And <laughs> and so Cheryl looks at her results and she's negative. I'm 100% Cheryl Marjorie Blossom. And they're like, okay, what does this mean? It means that Burble was right. In fact, I'm not crazy. I'm not haunted. Maybe there was once a Julian in my mother's mortal womb, but I didn't absorb him. Okay, that's great. So like, how do we explain this weirdness around Thistle House? To which... Okay, Cheryl gets this fervor in her that I I do love. Miss B enlightened me to the realization that most likely someone is trying to drive me mad. But once I find out who this depraved monster is, I will unleash a wrath upon them so wicked they will wish they had been consumed in their mother's womb. Well, shit. I love it. Love it. It's great. That's that Cheryl fire that we like seeing. Mm-hmm. We go over to the Pembroke and Veronica is in the study. She is drinking something and she's got her feet on the desk. <sighs> and Hiram's like, Veronica. And like he's looking for her. What's the matter, daddy? Why did I get a call that says you turned down your acceptance to Harvard? Please tell me that he's sorely mistaken. Oh, no. I look better in Yale blue anyway. <laughs> and so he's like, it's a dream. No, it's your dream. You ruined it for me by... Walking through those ivory towers, I'd be letting you dictate the rest of my life. I'd graduate, get my MBA from Oxford, run a Fortune 500, make the cover of Fives, obviously. The next 20 years would be mapped out by you. I'm finished living your version of my life. You don't get to own my future, so consider the ties that bind cut. Which is like, okay, great. We've heard this shit from you tons from Veronica. To which even Hiram's like, really? What do you think you do now, Mihal? Walk away from me? You've never been able to do that. Which he is correct. Yes. To which I do like that she says, you're right. It appears that we're locked in a twisted Greek tragedy. But my guidance counselor told me that there is one way to end this. Oh, my God. I have to kill you. To which Hiram visibly gets a little uncomfortable. She's like, don't worry. I won't stoop to your level. I'm going to kill you on the battlefield you cherish above all others. Business. I'm going to take you head on and destroy you. Just like Oedipus and Electra did to their daddies. And when I'm done, I will bury your battered and beaten carcass and be free of you once and for all. So she finishes her drink. This bottle I cracked open is a lot better than that swill you've been making recently, Daddy. But my rum will be far superior. So she leaves and we see that she has taken the bottle of rum out of the special glass and he is pissed and he throws it. (sighs) This is so fucking stupid. Well, okay. I love it for the Veronica of it all. Yes. I hate it because of the motivation that got us there. I just hate that yet again, she's not walking away from her father. No. She's just going to fight him more, which is stupid. It's just stupid. It's it's circular storytelling. It's not like the Archie one where he makes a bad choice. Mm-hmm. But we've given some depth to that character to understand that this is a compulsion. Yeah. And it's not just going to happen overnight for him. Mm-hmm. So, like, at least there's a, a meaning and an understanding behind what Archie's bad decisions are going to mm-hmm. be. There's not a whole lot of good reason for that here. On the other hand, I'm just going to enjoy Veronica being Veronica. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just going to have to get used to that with this show. So, you cut over to Betty's room and she's reading Jughead's story. These are great. You really captured the essence of the Baxter's brothers, but you made it your own. And I caught up on all my college applications. So wait, I want to show you something. It's an article I found from 2002. And so it's like novelist Theodore Weisel drowns in a yachting accident. Why does that sound familiar? He was in Quill and Skull Literary Society with my grandfather. I tracked him down. And so then he's found some other ones. This one is from 78, drove off a bridge. Charles Chickens. Oh, my God. This one is from 1994, Mechanical Failure. 
Jane Dallas Brown. Jane Dallas Brown. In fact, DuPont and my MIA grandfather are the only ones of that society who are not dead, which begs to question, are these all horrible, suspicious accidents or murders? Jug, if you're right, you need to transfer. <laughs> and they're just like, a, we're so, this is so close. I can feel it. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Flash forward. We see a lineup of Betty, Veronica, and Archie. And they're in a police lineup. And then we turn the camera and we see Donna and Brett very flatly with FP behind them saying, yes, those are the kids we saw kill Jughead. Riverdale. So I'm still buying this as our theory of this is Jug's story, right? So there's one thing that's tripping me up. Okay. And it's the case numbers. Uh Uh-huh. They're using the same font that they have been in the flash forwards. Yes. It almost makes me feel like the case number, this, all these conversations are fake. There's something with those case numbers that have to do with this investigation and Jug's story. And now one of my theories has been that they're actually they have enacted Jug's plan because for the same reason that his grandfather had to disappear, Jughead's going to have to disappear. Right. This is them enacting to prove that this is the perfect murder because this is how they got rid of Chipping and these other people. But yeah. So here's a, Here's a side idea. One idea that I had was she is an investigator, but is also overqualified and has been planted within the school to investigate everybody because yeah. shit's weird shit's happening in Riverdale. I would love her to be the actual like real FBI. Yes, that's one. And tracking Charles and stuff. But here's the thing. If she is real FBI, so is Honey. Yeah, They're, I would agree with that. Whatever's going on with Honey Burble's a part of. That would make sense. That, I think, is just a fact. Another option here that's a little more plain, the reason that we're seeing those case numbers is they are evidence. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they're being included as part of evidence in that ongoing investigation. And this all happened in the timeline that we're understanding, but they're now being brought back with that title to investigate the kids. Yeah, I can buy that. That's sort of the middle of the road normal explanation. I like the FBI tag team idea over uh-huh. on the side too. Yeah. And I think that would also is part of what actually ends up exposing Charles. Oh yeah. Which would be great. So I really do hope we get Gina Torres back. If we don't, that's fine because we still have Kersmith. Yeah. We do have to we have to talk about because it's just funny. Okay, Theodore Weisel. Oh, God. It's the real name of Dr. Seuss. Uh-huh. Theodore Geisel. Theodore Geisel. Charles Chickens. Charles Dickens. Oh, my God. And then what was the lady's name? Jane Dallas Brown, which is which a little more obscure. It's a little more obscure. So I did a little I did a little Google search, and it the closest one that we can find that would make sense is Rita Mae Brown. Yeah. And she wrote all of the cat mysteries, which are so silly. And my grandma read all of them. I think I tried to read one. I was bored out of my mind. But also before that, like super lesbian feminist figure too. Yeah. So So like like, super interesting. So I really hope that is the author they pulled because not only is it obscure and in genre, but also like kick-ass lady. The one weird theory that is now like going around the internet a little bit is that the person who is actually moving Julian is Chick. There's a whole theory that Chick is actually Julian, that his actual hair color is the red. And that is part of why... Penelope took to him. That's actually Julian. He was born, but he wasn't a triplet. He was just another baby that they had. And they've just woven this story because we know how big liars the blossoms are. Or they stole a redheaded baby from the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Which is also totally possible as well. Now, 
chick is in jail. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. But it would make sense that Charles could be doing that. Entirely possible. He would know how to pick locks and get in there and do this. And he would also have been given all the information about Thistlewood from Penelope Blossom via chick. I mean, I agree with all of this Mm -hmm. in terms of plausibility. Mm -hmm. What I don't understand is motive. Mm Mm-hmm. And we could conjecture about that for days. I don't want to get into it. It's just that that's so murky Mm -hmm. that it doesn't lend itself as credible just yet until we get a little bit more. We'd need to have some more context with what's going on with Chick and Charles. And we're definitely, I don't expect to get that until the next half of the season. No, but plausible. Just like those other random stuff, put a pin in it. Yes. So I guess our only thing left is to go watch the trailer for our mid-season finale. Let's do that. Okay. What the fuck? So they seem to have taken a page out of Mad Men and just give us trailers that give us no information about anything at all. I'm fine with that for like a mid-season finale for sure. Totally. So this is going to be chapter 66. It's called Tangerine, which is after a movie we've not seen. The synopsis for Tangerine is Veronica enlists a secret weapon against Hiram. Archie and FP team up to take Dodger down for good. Betty and Charles investigate a series of strange attacks aimed at Betty. And Jughead's search for his grandpa leads to more questions. Now we know that Timothy Weber who's playing Forsyth the first is going to show up. We've known that since he was cast. Yep. So that's cool. And all we get from this trailer is Alice pulling a knife and going after Betty. Yeah, I almost feel like she's been hypnotized by the videotapes. I feel like a new videotape might come up and she would have been hypnotized to murder Betty. Oh my God, are they pulling a Halloween 3 on us? That could be awesome. Oh my God. I haven't seen Halloween 3, but that could be awesome. And It's we not already, good, I'll tell you now. But here's the other thing. We've already pulled a Laurie Strode reference. Yeah, but Halloween 3 has literally nothing to do with Mike Myers. It's a totally separate weird ass version. <laughs> I don't care. Potato, potato at this like, point. Oh boy, I don't know about that. That... <sighs> I've said that so many times, and then it keeps pulling me back in. God damn it, the show. I know. It's a lot. I'm kind of glad I know nothing. I am too. It's kind of nice to go without like any expectations other than we're going to meet Jughead's grandfather. And my suspicion is that we're literally going to be like, Grandpa? Jughead? That's all we get of him. Like literally one shot. That would not surprise me in the slightest. I mean, maybe. The other side of it is that Grandpa's responsible for some of this bullshit. Ugh, gross. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't no, know. thank you. I don't know. So I guess we'll find out. <sighs> All right. Well, until next time, hashtag Go, go Bulldogs. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.